0: Aurelius Augustinus, otherwise known as Augustine if you're from England, or Augustine if you're from Scotland, but I'll let you pick what you want to call him. Uh, Augustine is known as the greatest theologian in the history of the church after Paul the Apostle until the Protestant Reformation. There are four great Latin church fathers. You've got Jerome, who translated the Greek and the Hebrew into Latin, gave us the Latin Vulgate. You have Ambrose, the great preacher. You've got Augustine, and you have Gregory I. Now, of those four, three of them were brought up in a godly heritage. Augustine did not He didn't become converted until he was 35. His life is X-rated. He was born November 13, 354, in Tagast, Numidia, which is in North Africa. That's present-day Algeria. His parents were respectable Roman citizens. His mother, Monica, was a devout Christian. If, If you've ever heard of Santa Monica, California... Well, that city was named after Augustine's mother, St. Monica. His father, Patricius, was a pagan worshiper of the Roman pantheon of gods for almost all of his life. But like any good parents at the time, his parents wanted to ensure that Augustine had a first-class education as far as they were able. Now, they were of middle-class stature, so they had some means, but they couldn't afford the top education, that they couldn't afford... Uh, the university, so they had to settle for a community college, essentially. Uh, They they still wanted him to go to school to get his education. Augustine had two siblings, and he showed the most promise in his home among them, so uh, his parents really dedicated their resources and their energies uh, to sending him to school. And they wanted to send him to Carthage, and he was to study law and rhetoric. Now, rhetoric is the art of giving speeches to be persuasive. It was a, a very, per, uh, a very respectable profession uh, in that day. If, if you were going to go into politics, you were going to go into law. If you're going to reach any any high class uh, position in society, you needed to be able. Uh, to speak well, to argue your position, no matter if it was was the pro position or the con position. And so rhetoric was the key discipline of the day. Now, Augustine had to wait at home for a year before he could go to school because his parents couldn't afford to send him right away, so they needed that year to save up enough money uh, to send him to Carthage. Well, while he was at home, Augustine lived a life of licentiousness, a life of, of debauchery, stealing, chasing women, committing crimes. He would later recount this early period in his life and his confessions, saying, The mists of passion steamed up out of the puddly concupiscence of the flesh. In the hot imagination of puberty... And they so obscured and overcast my heart that I was unable to distinguish pure affection from unholy desire. Both boiled confusedly within me and dragged my unstable youth down over the cliffs of unchaste desires and plunged me into a gulf of infamy. I was tossed to and fro and wasted and poured out and I boiled over in my fornications." See, Augustine was a womanizer. In other words, he liked sex and lots of it. He also hung out with like fellows as he. He says, I rushed on headlong with such blindness that among my friends I was ashamed to be less shameless than they. When I heard them boasting of their disgraceful exploits, and glorying all the more the worse their baseness was. And when in anything I had not sinned as the worst ones in the group, I would still say that I had done what I had not done, in order not to appear contemptible, because I was more innocent than they, and not to drop in their esteem, because I was more chaste. See with what companions I walked the streets of Babylon. It's interesting that he uses the word Babylon here in his confessions. And we'll come back to that later. There's a warning here for you uh, young people, you need to pay attention to the type of friends that you hang out with, uh, because as good as your intentions are, uh, their habits and character will rub off on you. And uh, if you're not careful, you'll be you'll 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 take on their character and end up becoming like them. So Augustine gave himself over to his passions. And his passions turned into habits, and his habits became ingrained in his character. Well, eventually his parents were able to send him to Carthage, where he would study law and rhetoric. He became an excellent student and speaker. He read Cicero, the, the great uh, master of, of Latin language. And then when he, when he came to the Bible, also written in Latin at the time, the Vulgate, the language of Rome. In comparison with Cicero, he found the Bible to be dull, ineloquent, much inferior to Cicero, not nearly as fancy and fascinating as he'd been reading. And so he found it too hard to believe, and he cast it aside. Instead, he came under the influence of who were called the Manichaeans, Now, the Manichaeans were uh, a a philosophical sect, a religious sect, and they were dualistic. They believed that there was a light force and a dark force at war with each other, ultimately controlled by the fates. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody, to have a light force and a dark force at war and it's all controlled by fate? It's like Jedi and the Sith in Star Wars. And they viewed evil as this uh, an outside force that we're not responsible for. Again, it's because everything is controlled by fate. And the Manichaeans believed in, in a pure knowledge. And this really tickled Augustine's intellectual fancies. You remember, he was a good student. He pursued philosophy. He enjoyed uh, reading. And so he dove into Manichaean teaching. The Manichaeans also... Uh, presented or had the idea of this free spirit that you kind of could do what you want. And so for Augustine, well, that was just more sex to be had on his part because he had the moral freedom in Manichaeanism to do whatever his passions desired since everything was a result of fate. And so he had the liberty to follow his life of fornication And you see, the danger is, when you go off to college, uh, you you come under the influence of these professors who sound like they know what they're talking about, and everyone else is doing it, so you start to embrace their worldview, and who are you to argue? You're just a student. And so Augustine embraced Manichaeanism, and he, he would spend his time with his friends making fun of Christians. Incidentally, it was during this time that Augustine took a concubine to himself, and had a child out of wedlock with her. He named the child Adiodatus. We don't hear too much more about him. But don't think that, that you can escape sin by entering education or by entering ministry. Because where you go, your sin goes with you. And yet all this time, Augustine's mother, Monica, never stopped praying for his salvation. In fact, one time his mother Monica had a dream that she was standing on this ruler stretched out, and she was at one end, Augustine was on the other, and this man appeared, this angel appeared and and told her not to worry because Augustine would be standing where she was. So she told Augustine this dream, and maybe he said, you will be standing where I am, No, his mother replied, the man told me you will be standing where I am, not that I will be standing where you are. And thus, Augustine's mother never lost hope that her son would one day become a Christian. You know, that's a lesson for you parents with with wayward children, or even for, for those of you who have wayward friends or wayward parents. Monica's story is a story of the power of prayer, and you'll see why. A priest once told her, the son of a mother who shed so many tears cannot perish. Well, after he finished his studies at Carthage, Augustine returned to Thagast, his hometown, to teach rhetoric. One day, his friend became sick with a fever so bad that he became unconscious, and when it seemed like he was going to, to die, the, the friend's family came in and baptized him. Now i got to explain why they did that. At, at this time baptism was seen as, uh, as thought to cleanse you from all past sins. And so many people would wait until the very last moment. Many people would wait till they're on their deathbed and then get baptized because then you could be cleansed from a whole lifetime of sin. That's why Constantine was baptized uh, on his deathbed so late in life. Well, after the baptism, Augustine's friend surprisingly got better. He thought his friend would join him in making fun of the church and the baptism because they were both Manichaeans, not Christians. But Augustine's friend got angry with him and told him to stop teaching him Manichaean nonsense, he called it. Well, eventually the friend got sick again, but this time he died. And this is an event that plunged Augustine into deep despair. So to escape his sorrow, he he decided to leave his home and go back to Carthage. It was the only other place he knew. But the students that he had there were unruly, and so he became dissatisfied with his teaching career there. He had some friends that told him if, if, if he were just to go to Rome, the students there were more polite, and he could advance his career. And of course, in Rome, there was more sex to be had than any place else. So Augustine made up his mind, to go. Augustine's father had become a Christian on his deathbed and had, had died around this time, but his mother wanted to come with him to Rome. Yet Augustine, he didn't want anything to do with his mother's faith. He decided to, he, he told her to wait in a little church at the port until he came and got her to go to Rome, but during the night he actually set sail and left her there. So he set up shop in Rome and began to teach, but he soon realized that the students in Rome weren't any better than in Carthage. They were lazy and they didn't pay their bills. Additionally, he started to sense some some errors at this time in the teachings of the Manichaeans as he continued his studies. He began to to have some doubts, to think that, that there were some things wrong that the Manichaeans were teaching. But what else could he turn to because he didn't know what was right? Well, eventually he was introduced by some friends to someone seeking for a teacher to come to the city of Milan to teach in the emperor's court, which was a high teaching position, so Augustine accepted the job. Now, while he went to Milan, he, went, he, he started going to hear a famous rhetorician The only problem was this man was a bishop in the Christian church. But Augustine didn't care uh, what he taught. He just wanted to hear him speak. The man's name was Ambrose, Bishop of Milan. Now, Ambrose was a master communicator. He had mastered the art of rhetoric. And so Augustine came to hear him preach for the sake of observing a master artist. Augustine began to sit under his teaching in the church and was extremely impressed with his rhetorical style. But before long, not only was Augustine enjoying listening to Ambrose preach, just for the sake of hearing the eloquence of the speech, the stylistic technique, but Augustine began to listen to the message that Ambrose was preaching. You know, it's, it's like music. You, have, you ever met those people that say, you know, I just... I just like the beat, you know. I don't don't really listen to the lyrics. I just want to hear the beat. Well, even if you don't want to hear the lyrics, they're still there, and eventually they're going to make it through. So you need to be careful about what you listen to. Well, Ambrose began to answer many of Augustine's questions regarding the Manichees and Christianity. Specifically, he was dealing with the issue of how can a good God be sovereign and yet allow evil Ambrose began to answer some of these questions. And so Augustine eventually intellectually knew that Christianity was true, but he was still unwilling to convert to it. He liked Ambrose, but he also wanted money and fame and a good career and material possessions. He, he was torn between two ways of life. He was torn between two worlds. He was torn between two cities, if you will, he would pray, God, grant me chastity and continence, but not yet. For I was afraid that you might hear me too soon, and too soon cure me of my disease of lust, which I desired to have satisfied rather than extinguished. And so Augustine still would not convert. But you see, seeds had been planted. The application that we can learn from from Ambrose here is that God used a man skilled in an art form to draw a sinner to hear the message of the grace of God in Christ. You know, a lot of times we we view artistic skill and the power of the gospel as mutually exclusive things, almost as as if you have to be poor in skill for, for God to work through the gospel. But this is not so. God uses both the skilled and the unskilled. Compare Paul, unskilled in speech, and Ambrose, a master of rhetoric. God used them both marvelously. Skill and art forms do not subtract from God's glory. They are an instance of it. But even the best preaching doesn't guarantee conversion. Conversion rests solely on the sovereignty of God. So what happened to Augustine? Well, one day he's walking through his garden, and he hears the voice of a little school-age girl saying, take up and read, take up and read, take up and read. And he reasoned, what child could this be? No child would go around saying, take up and read. It must be an angel from God that's trying to tell me something. So, Augustine picked up his Bible. He opened it at random. Now, this is not a method that I would recommend doing you know you're you're praying you've got an important situation you're trying to figure out what to do you pick up your Bible God tell me what to do and Judas went out and hung himself that's not what you want to do I can't recommend it but in this case Augustine picked up his Bible and opened it and his eyes fell to Romans 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He says, I wanted to read no further, nor did I need to. For instantly, as the sentence ended, there was infused in my heart something like the light of full certainty, and all the gloom of doubt vanished away. And Augustine was converted on the spot by the singing of a little school-aged girl. You know, it's amazing to see who God will use to bring the sinner to faith. Well, Augustine was baptized by Ambrose the following year. He went on to become a priest. He embraced a life of celibacy, and eventually he received a promotion. He became the bishop of Hippo. That's why he's called Augustine of Hippo in the history books. And at this point, he he started to debating and, and refuting the Manichees. He also served as a judge over people's disputes. You know, you read in the Old Testament through all the judges. Well, his job was very similar. He would have uh, the people under his overwatch and his uh, bishopric, uh, the churches there, would come to him to settle uh, their disputes, and he found that quite tiring and exhausted, uh, as as you might imagine. But he also spent a lot of time writing and studying during this period. Eventually, in Rome, the the Vandals, a a barbarian tribe uh, from the north, came to Hippo and eventually conquered it, but not until Augustine had earlier contracted a fever and died when the vandals burned the city to the ground and they made off with the young women, they left Augustine's cathedral and his library completely untouched. Due to the providence of God in that situation, uh, God was able to preserve Augustine's writings for us today. And Augustine was a prolific author. He didn't just speak Uh, in public. He also wrote. So what are his theological contributions? Well, one of the things that he had to contend with in the earlier days of his ministry was something called the Donatist controversy, the Donatist heresy. Now, the Donatists were a a North African sect who rejected the readmission of clergy who had apostatized during persecution. Um, And so they... They believe that if, during the Roman persecutions that I'm sure you've heard about, if a clergy member had apostatized during this period, he could not come back in the church, and even if he repented and did come back in the church, any person that he baptized, any person that he administered the Lord's Supper to, any person that he consecrated uh, was invalid, and so what this created really was a, a holier-than-thou uh, type of a church. A church, uh, these Donatists wanted to trace their spiritual heritage along this line of purity back to really themselves because they had, they had said all these other uh, bishops and priests out there had, had either uh, come from someone who had apostatized during persecution Um, or had apostatized themselves. And so they said, you have to join our group in order to be in the church. And so it it would create this this sense of elitism uh, because we don't allow unholy uh, ministers. And the Donatists believed that the, the sacraments depended upon the moral purity of the clergy. So Augustine had to respond to these people. And so he argued that the true church is the church universal. It's not one sect. It's not one group. He argued that no one else recognizes the Donatists outside of North Africa. He also said there's no way to ascertain the moral purity of the clergy. The moral purity of someone, unless it's a, a, a visible external sin, is going to be internal It's something that only God can see. And so it would be impossible to try and trace this, this moral purity up the line all the way back to who knows where. Augustine also said that it's not by the power of the clergy that makes the sacraments effective. He argued that it was by the power of Christ. Now he introduced a term here called ex opera operato, which means by the very work performed, so that when a priest administers baptism, what makes baptism effective isn't the moral purity of the priest, but Augustine argued that what made it effective was the very act of the baptism itself. Now, the Donatists uh, were condemned uh, throughout the church, but you still might find uh, modern traces of it in the church today in the sense of when you've got groups of people who, who try to uh, X off entire ministries or groups or people based off of, well, this guy came from that church or this guy had this particular pastor who had this particular pastor and that guy ended up being a heretic, and it ends up driving this uh, kind of hierarchical tears in these groups of Christians and creates a sense of a tribalism of, of our tribe is good and their tribe is bad, it's not exactly in the same sense, but it, it's, it's a modern trace. It's, it's still not completely uh, stamped out even today. Augustine gave us uh, a, a theological uh, depth on the nature of sin. He described himself as an infant in his confessions. He said, I would fling my arms and legs about and cry, making the few and feeble gestures that I could "'Though indeed the signs were not much like what I had inwardly desired "'and when I was not satisfied, either from not being understood "'or because what I got was not good for me. "'I grew indignant that my elders were not subject to me "'and that those on whom I actually had no claim did not wait on me as slaves. "'And I avenged myself on them by crying.' You see, he he believed that the innocence of the infants lies in their weakness of body, not in their mind. In other words, as Tommy Nelson likes to say, we only think a baby's innocent because he's too weak to strangle you. If he had the strength, he would grab the mother by the throat and demand its milk. Augustine also tells the story of the pear tree. He says... I had the desire to commit robbery, and did so. Compelled to it, though, by neither hunger nor poverty, but through a contempt for well-doing and a strong impulse to iniquity. For I pilfered something which I already had in sufficient measure, and of much better quality. I do not desire to enjoy what I stole, but only the theft and the sin itself. Here was a pear tree close to our own vineyard, heavily laden with fruit, which was not tempting either for its color or for its flavor. Late one night, having prolonged our games in the streets until then, as our bad habit was, a group of young scoundrels, and I among them, went to shake and rob this tree. We carried off a huge load of pears, not to eat ourselves, but to dump out to the hogs. After barely tasting some of them ourselves, doing this pleased us all the more because it was forbidden. Such was my heart, God, such was my heart. Augustine also gave us the first Christian autobiography. I've already mentioned it a couple of times called The Confessions. It's a very unique work in that. The confession, uh, he, he's confessing his sinful life to God in the book. It makes for great reading. But, of course, a confession is also the faith that a person confesses. He called God in the confessions the hound of heaven who tracks him down. You may have heard this quote. He says, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. So he writes these confessions. It's a first person uh, autobiography addressed specifically to God. What's interesting is that out of his confessions sparked a major theological debate, which is still with us today. There was a British monk whose name was Pelagius. And Pelagius read some of Augustine's confessions, and he had. A major problem was something that Augustine said, and Augustine doesn't just say this once, he says it uh, several times. Augustine said, God, command what you will and grant what you command. Now Pelagius didn't have a problem with the first part of the saying, command what you will. Certainly, if God is God, he can command whatever he wants to command. Pelagius' problem was with the second part of the prayer. Command what you will and grant what you command. And Pelagius thought to himself how that is so contrary to his, his belief of who God was. He, he, he believed that God could command nothing impossible. You know, Pelagius taught that Adam was created mortal, that he would die even if he didn't sin." He believed that Adam's sin injured only Adam, that the fall doesn't affect your will, that you are created like Adam before the fall. You can will the good on your own without divine aid. In a sense, God, God helps those who help themselves. It's a pick-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps. It's a, pick a just-do-it mentality. Now, throughout the church history, Pelagius was condemned several times. And in Augustine's response, you remember, see, Augustine had experienced the gift of a new will, that, that sense that he felt when he read Romans 13 that pointed directly to his life. And so he was able to theologically articulate what are called the doctrines of grace. He gave us the doctrines of grace, that salvation is by faith alone. Augustine's heavily used by Calvin and Luther. You have to understand, Calvin's not primarily a Calvinist, he was an Augustinian. Luther quotes Augustine 100 times in his commentary on Paul's epistle to the Romans. Augustine taught that against Pelagius that. Regeneration or salvation here is monergistic, mono meaning one, ergos means work, one work. Man is not basically good, but unable to refrain from sinning. Man sins willingly and enjoys it. He knew this from himself, his own descriptions of his sin and his life. Man cannot choose Christ. It's not God providing Christ and then man choosing it sin touches the entire person, and man cannot change his state and is dead to God and an enemy of the gospel. Augustine kind of organized here these, these moral states that he would, he would put uh, humanity in. He used Latin terms, passe picare, means able to sin. Passe non picare, ability to keep from sinning the combination of those two would have been what Adam had prior to the fall and what the regenerate have now. And he also described a moral state of non-passe non, non pecari which is the inability to not sin. And he ascribed that moral state to all those from the fall until regeneration or salvation. Augustine believed in what's called original sin, which is that the corruption from Adam makes us non posse non-pacare, the inability to not sin. Augustine taught that man has liberium arbitrium, which means free will. He has a free will, but what he's lost is libertas, freedom. Man has the ability to do what he most wants. But he has lost the freedom to want the good, because what he wants is to do evil, and he freely chooses it. A man, Augustine said, can only believe when the Holy Spirit affects his will, and this is a gift of God to those who are, Augustine said, are predestined by God's sovereign choice. Augustine says, to desire the aid of grace is the beginning of grace. See, see, it's not that you desire grace in order to get grace, but the very desire itself is already the beginning of grace. As the believer's faith issues forth in good works, Augustine said, God crowns his own gifts. God rewards his own work in you that he's doing. And so really the Reformation... Which would come a thousand years later is a is a reforming of Pauline thought as articulated by Augustine. Now Augustine's not perfect though. Uh, He he believed that salvation begins at baptism. He believed in baptismal regeneration. That when you were baptized into the water, that was when you experienced regeneration. He believed that baptism erases original sin. He also believed that, that communion gave you grace to continue in the Christian life, almost like, uh, like manna, like you would take the elements of the Lord's Supper, and, and like manna, that would uh, give you this grace to continue in, in your Christian life. Because remember, communion as a memorial doesn't come until Zwingli and Zurich in, in about the 1500s. Augustine also believed in penance. He believed that when you sin, you should, you should do certain things. Uh, he also tampered with the idea of purgatory. But don't be too hard on him because he didn't have thousands of years of theology books to stand on. He didn't have great uh, giants before him, uh, so many like we, we do today. Augustine also gave us our first philosophy of history. You may have seen it, giant book called City of God. Rome fell in, in 410 A.D. to the barbarian tribes. The question was, did Rome fall because it rebelled against its gods or did Rome fall because it rebelled against the true God? So in this book, Augustine articulates that on the one hand, you have the city of man, built upon rejection, built upon hate, built upon damnation, and then you have the city of God, the city built upon faith, hope, and love, whose purpose is to to gather in the elect and establish God's kingdom. Augustine teaches that history is is actually going someplace. It's not cyclical. It has an ultimate purpose to it, established by God. The war in Augustine's soul in his life was was really just a microcosm that he saw of this ultimate-scale war between the city of Jerusalem, that is, the city of God built upon the love of God, and Babylon, the city of man built upon the love of man and the rejection of God. Augustine also gave us, uh, as, as one of the first major proponents of what is called amillennialism, You might be familiar with premillennialism, that is, that Jesus will return at the second uh, second coming and set up a 1,000-year reign. Premillennialism flourished in the first century. It was rejected and discounted by a a bishop named Sorinthus who tried to make it into this big party, Uh, but it also flourishes today. Amillennialism, on the other hand, ah meaning not, uh, believes that there is no physical kingdom, but rather it's a spiritual kingdom, and it's here now. That's what Augustine believed. Augustine also wrote a work on the Trinity. Now, this is a unique work because most of the time in church history, when these theologians would get together and debate and, and flesh out doctrine in greater and greater detail, it was mostly because of heresies that crept up in the church. You would have somebody who started teaching and, and the, the, the Christian uh, priests and the bishops would say, no, that doesn't sound quite right. And they'd get together and they'd study the scriptures and they would, they would uh, converse with one another and they would write theological treatises to combat the heretics and that would flesh out a, a greater, uh, broader scope, deeper theology. But in this case, Augustine wrote on the Trinity not in response to heresy, but just in his own contemplations. He, he would make these different analogies to try and grasp uh, what the Trinity was, that, that the Holy Spirit, he said, is, is like the personal love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father. He, he developed a, a relationship of origin, uh, where the Father is the source, the Son is begotten of the Father, and the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son as one principle. Other analogies that he, he developed, the Son is like the Word and the image, the Spirit uh, is like the love and the inclination of the will. He talked about the mind reflecting on itself, where the mind is like the Father, the idea that it has like the Son, and loving itself like the Spirit. But ultimately, he concludes in that book that the Trinity itself is ultimately unique. And all the analogies that he had contemplated to try to understand it uh, in greater detail eventually broke down. So overall, Augustine's life here shows us God's gracious pursuit of sinners and, and how God uses people even from the little school age girl, how God uses uh, the prayer of his people to, as means to fulfill his purposes and bringing sinners to repentance uh, gives us an appreciation of, of a lot of doctrines and, and, and theology that, that we take for granted today and, and we don't realize the, the internal struggle and, and where, where they came from as they were developed uh, and articulated in certain ways by theologians throughout history. And ultimately, we have Augustine to thank for some of the most mature thinking on sin and grace, which is still with us today, that is then further developed uh, in the Protestant Reformation. So before I close, does anyone have any questions on Augustine? I might not have the answer. I will attempt. How old was he when he was converted? Thirty-five. Uh, I'm not, I can't remember how long he lived. Brian, you know? I, I, don't know. I think it was like 60 or something around there. He wrote a book yep. His wrote a book about start he yeah, so he wrote contractions at the, retractions at the end of his life to, to, Go over all of the teachings that he uh, at once taught, but then later rejected, which really is a is a sign of uh, humility because it tells you that as much as you study the Word of God, as much as you grow in your wisdom and knowledge, you probably don't have it all right, and you're probably eventually going to read another passage of Scripture and decide, oh wait, what I believed over here is wrong, and um, and it's a it's a sign of humility to be able to admit that you have taught wrongly, uh, but it's also a sign of God's grace that He is uh, continuing to bless uh, your faith. We we died in about turn when died. Okay, so 75 when he died of the fever. Yep, and then the Vandals came and sacked Rome. Dan. Probably the Confessions, uh, it's very, it's it almost reads like a spiritual devotional type of thing, very good for your soul to see the thing. It's not only just feelings that he's going through, difficult situations, he has a lot of theology in there as well, that's very good. A lot of his other works are really scattered, um, he has one called the Enchiridion, uh, which is more theologically concise. Um, on the Trinity is pretty good as well. But again, I mean, the conclusion he's going to say all these analogies I've been talking about don't work, so you can save The first half of the book is considered just gold. the second half it seems like he, it's LSD. Mm. <laughs> Peter Brown, biography on Augustine. Yep. Selected writings on grace and Pelagianism. Is good. Selected writings on grace and Pelagianism. Justin says. Good. Uh, yes. Uh, yes, she did. All right, well I'm gonna pray. Father we thank